So before we get started this morning, once again, I want to mention my name is Pastor Mike, and it's a pleasure to be here filling in for Pastor Michael, who's on sabbatical. And before we get started, I wanted to let all the parents know, if you have kiddos in the room, today we are going to be mentioning the word sex. So I've tried to soften it where I could, but in other areas, there's really no way to get around it, and it's something that we should not be ashamed of, and hopefully... If questions are raised by your children, I pray that we can faithfully teach them what that word means in those areas instead of letting the world lead and teach them in these areas. The title of my message today is called The Life in Light of Our Glorious Hope, Part 1. Pastor Lance next week will bring, bring, be bringing Part 2. If you stand with me as we read Colossians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 11, Colossians chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 11. Starting in verse 1, God's holy word reads, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once were walked in these things when you were living in them. But now... Put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is no Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer into response of his holy word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come right now just praising you and thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that I might decrease and through this message you will increase and be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In these verses that we will study today in the book of Colossians, they're called hinge verses. You see, every story or letter has a hinge or a turning point. In the first two chapters, Paul is seeking to establish a doctrinal foundation for these believers in Colossae to guard against false teaching. In the last two chapters, Paul moves from creed to conduct. He moves from belief to behavior. This is what Paul is doing as he transitions from this part of Colossians. Paul, like any good preacher, he is reminding them where they have been in order to set up the next section of his letter. My first point this morning is our source and motivation of living for Christ. Looking at verses 1 through 4, our source and motivation of living for Christ. In verse 1, he begins with these words, so if you have been raised with Christ, Paul's reminding them of their identity their position in Christ. In chapter 2, verse 12, Paul makes this case. He says, 
when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Look, he's saying, when Jesus died, we died, church. When Jesus was buried, we were buried. When Jesus was raised to life, we were raised to life. This is what it means to be in Christ. We didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We have been raised. It's passive. It's an action done by God alone in the past that affects us currently in the present. He says the same things in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And that reads, He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So this is Paul's starting point. The starting point is our position in Christ. This is the way that we live in Christ. And we hope that it will lead us to live a Christ-centered life. In the Bible, there are... I've been working on this word all week. <laughs> Indictives and imperatives. Indictives are facts or something that has been done already. Imperatives are commands or there are things to be done. These beginning words are indicatives, relating the fact of our being raised with Christ. Imperatives are, are commands that will result from our understanding of our identity. In view of that fact that we have been raised with Christ, we should set our hearts on and what kind of mindset should we have. So what kind of mindset should we have? First, Paul writes that we should seek the things from above. Seek means an ongoing pursuit, a search, a desire to possess. What's so important about things above, we might ask? Well, it's where Christ is. We should seek the things above because that's where Jesus is. He's at the right hand of God, which is a place of honor, majesty, and authority. And that's where Jesus sits. Having finished the work of redemption and now... He prays for us, which says in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it reads, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. We find it easy to focus on the things of the world. Popularity, acceptance, prestige, wealth, power, moving up in the world. It takes persistence and concentration to focus on things of above. And we can't do it by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit with us as well. And we also need the church and our brothers and sisters in Christ lifting us up and pushing us and encouraging us to constantly think of the things are above. That's why being intentional Meeting here with the body of believers, meeting at our community groups is essential into our living in community. Bible reading, Bible memorization, serving, 
Like on the 20th, we'll be serving here, and we'll get into that a little bit later in announcements. But there's opportunities for you to serve, to reach out, to share your truths, to share how God has affected your life. All of those things help to keep us, each and every one of us in this room, looking to the hope in Christ, looking above. When we are set on seeking things above, we can weather any storm that comes at us because we know that this is not our home. There was a man who failed in business at the age of 21. He was defeated in the legislative race at age 22. Again, at age 24, he failed in managing his businesses. When he was 26, he overcame the death of his sweetheart. At age 27, he had a nervous breakdown. At age 34, he lost a congressional race. At age 45, he lost a senatorial race. At age 49, he failed to become vice president. At, uh, sorry, at age 47, he failed to become vice president. At age 49, he lost a senatorial race. But by age 52, Abraham Lincoln was elected president of the United States. Abraham Lincoln could have given it up, he could have quit, but he didn't. Hopefully that's a lesson to all of us that no matter how many times we fail, you can always continue on. Next, Paul gives the command, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. It might seem similar, but it's more of a focus to our minds in this description of this verse. We're not only to seek things above, but also our minds and our wills. The word means to dwell intently on something. Paul begins this hinge verse in Romans the same way. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want you to focus on that being transformed formed, an ongoing process of being transformed, an ongoing process of renewing our minds. And when we're doing that, when we're renewing our minds, it means that we have to concentrate. And I remember when I was a youth, I had a mentor, and he was teaching me how to play golf. And he would say, keep your eye on the ball. And so I would take a swing, and I would totally miss the ball, and chuck grass into the air and he would look at me and he would say what did you do wrong well I just totally looked the didn't keep my eye on the ball I was thinking of oh this thing is going to go 300 400 yards I was looking at the results but not doing the necessary steps to get the results that I wanted and so if you want to be close to Christ you want to be Christ-like there are things that you cannot drop the ball on there are people in fellowship and community. We have to love one another. In order to do that, we have to be here. We have to contact one another. We have to love one another through action and through deed. Because we have a choice. We can set our minds on earthly things, but they say that garbage in is garbage out. Paul gave the Colossians and us an encouragement to set our minds on things that are from above. We need to have a heavenly mindset. We need to have our feet firmly planted in our culture. That way we can see the world we live in 
and the people around us. But we're going to use God's eyes to see all of that and to live through all of that. Paul then gives the Colossians a truth about their past and a truth about their future. We see this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. And that reads, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul made a point in chapter 2 that when Jesus died, we died to our old nature. It's very important that we understand that when Jesus died, and when we believe that we have died to our old nature. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, it reads, If you died with Christ to the elements of this world... And he goes on to ask a question. Listen to this. Why do you live as if you still belong to this world? Let me repeat that. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to this world? He's asking a question. He goes on. Why do you submit to regulations? In the letter to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he even makes it even clearer. He says, I've crucified, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I now live in the body, I live by what? I live by faith, because Christ lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. You see, that happened in the past, but the results of having faith in Christ, that affects our present. The way that we live our lives are hidden in Christ, in God. Once we are born again, once the Holy Spirit enters and creates a temple and a fellowship with us, we are safe and secure. And we have to trust in that. We have to believe in that. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27 to 30, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I am. And the Father are one. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. He says, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. This reality is concealed to the world because they are in darkness. But to us, the believers in Jesus Christ, those truths that I just mentioned should give all of us security and peace and comfort. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when that day happens, or if you meet him sooner than that day, we'll be with him in glory. That should all give us like goosebumps and makes us happy. But hold on. This is what the world says. You really believe that he is coming back? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. So let's look at the last phrase. Then you will also appear with him in glory. Can I ask you, what is your life? For some people, it might be golf or working, knitting, boating, or a hobby. 
or your life might be even your children, or maybe you have a substance abuse and that, that's your life. But can you say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? I think we all have to ask the question, can we honestly say that Christ is our life? Can we honestly say that he is our everything? And if he's not, then let's strive to make him our everything. So whether it's you need to talk to another brother, sister, or Christ, or an elder, let's all work together to make Christ our everything. When I was in the military, Tuesdays and Thursdays, we would get up early and we would do what's called PT for about two hours. We'd do push-ups, we'd do sit-ups, and we'd run about two miles this long time ago. When it was all over, I would come back to the ship because I was in the Navy. I would take off my clothes and they would hit the floor and they would splat because they were just soaking wet. I would take a shower. Sometimes I'd use, you know, uh, Q-tips to clean the mud because we were doing push-ups in the grass. And after all my, you know, showering and all my beautification process, after all that, I'd feel clean, right? Now, what would you think if I got out of the shower and I did all that whole process and I went and put back on those dirty, wet clothes? That really wouldn't make any sense, even though, you know, some children do that. I don't understand why. If you know, you know. Um, but anyways, that's the point that is Paul is making to the Colossian believers. He's making that point that we are studying this morning, that we have taken off old clothes and that we have put on our old life. Why? He is encouraging to us that we have this new life that we have been renewed, that we've been made new in Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says, Therefore, put to death, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Put these things to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, Paul's made the case already multiple times in this letter that when Jesus died, we died. Now, because we have died in Christ, we are to put the death, the deeds of sinful nature. We're not to try to tame our sin. We're not to try to toy with it. We are to run a sword directly through those sins, kill it off and let it be no more. We are to take radical action against anything that belongs to the old nature. We are to take the, any means necessary to rid ourselves of what we used to do and what we used to belong to. The Puritan John Owen said it this way, Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. The Christian life is not a merry-go-round. The Christian life is a war. It's a battle. And as long as we are living here, we are engaged with conflict between our old nature and the things of this world. 
and the new nature and the things of Christ. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. See, a price was paid for you and me. And we might walk around thinking that we can do what we want. I can live how I want to live. Not if you're a child of the Most High God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We find in Romans chapter 7 that Paul tells this truth again. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right here with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We should be saying that every morning we wake up. Thank God that the Lord has delivered me from the things that I thought about yesterday, from the things that I did yesterday, the things that came through my mind that I was planning or even actually did. Thank, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you notice that both of these verses that the answer points to who? Jesus. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can't do this on our own sanctification. We can't do this on our own by growing in Christ. Growing in Christ is a grace-fueled effort by our part. It isn't about trying harder. It's about trusting the Holy Spirit to work through us to live out what we say we believe. Paul then gives us a list of five words that are part of that earthly sinful nature that we are to deal with radically. These five words represent an area that Satan has used to trip up many a believer for thousands and thousands of years. So let's look at those five words. The first one is sexual immorality or fornication. The Greek word is pornea, and when we get the English word pornography, it means to it means that any intimate behavior outside the context of a man, one man, one woman marriage. The writer of Hebrews makes this clear. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. said, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexuality immortal. immortal. Next, we have impurity. This is more of a general term. This can be applied to any area of general moral uncleanliness. These two terms are action-oriented. Again, any physical intimate behavior outside the marriage covenant is sin. And those type of behaviors should be put to death immediately. You see, chastity, this was a new thing for the culture of that day. They were used to having multiple wives and concubines and other types of sins that were going on in the Greek culture. And it's easy for us 
in 2022 to look back and to read these things and, and to use these type of verses to bash sinners over the head with them. But these words, guess who they were not written to? They weren't written to non-Christians. These were written to believers, just like you and me. Sexual sin is rampant in our churches today. We see that there's adultery, premarital sex, internet pornography use. And by the way, I read one study today that uh, recently that says uh, our children, our teens, teens, ages 15 to 24, they believe that not recycling is worse than watching porn. The acceptance of any type of outside sexual behavior than a marriage covenant, we see that rampant. Child abuse scandals, not only in our churches, but in the Catholic churches, they have caused non-believers to tune us out, to not even listen to what we have to say when we try to speak into them. Over the last generation, I've watched in horror as many of my preaching heroes, and you might, some might come to your mind, they've been disqualified from ministry because of this type of sin. And this is why many of the younger generation, they don't want to have nothing to do with the church. They see this on Twitter and other social media platforms, and they say, why would I want to be a part of that? You see, God created physical intimacy, and it's good, but it has a proper context. Like fire in a fireplace, that can be good, but outside of it, in the woods, can cause a forest fire. There are some of us that maybe have scars from it outside the context of marriage. And in that, we might be having what's called godly guilt that's meant to gut us from grace, that's meant to harbor and hold us against having repentance with God. I just want to encourage you this morning. If that's you, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Let us as elders, as church members, help you get past whatever you've gone through. If you are dealing with lust and evil desires, this is where behaviors come from. Those type of motivations are intentional. We have a basic human tendency towards sin, especially in this area. I believe Paul wrote, um, he made six lists over the course of the New Testament. And on all six of them, almost all six of them, he started with sexual immorality. It's a big one. In response to Jesus' words that if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. There was a, a church father named Oregon. He went and castrated himself. And this is not what Jesus meant. Even though it's radical, and I'm talking about taking radical actions, Jesus said it's ultimately a heart issue. Paul writes that this all comes down to a form of idolatry, greed. 
greed and wanting it for myself, that emotion, that's unsatisfiable. It can never have enough. You might say, I'm just going to do this one last time. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to search for this one last time. But with sin, there is no one last time. It wants to keep you going in a cycle of, of redundancy. Another word for greed is covetedness, which takes us right back to God's top ten. We see that Paul learned the secret of contentment. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 to 13, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, sexual sin is idolatry. It is focused on self, not the other. It is focused on trying to meet my own needs instead of trusting God to meet those needs. It is bowing at the altar of pseudo-love instead of agape love. If you find yourself in any of these descriptions, then you need help just like the rest of us. You need help from the Holy Spirit, and God has given you a community of believers to assist you. There's no reason to be ashamed, as we all have struggles. We all have challenges in this walk. We as elders want to walk with you in this battle, so come and talk to us. If you are single and you might be living with someone and you want to escape this sin, then come and talk to one of us elders, and we will gladly walk with you. The next word Paul writes are chilling. In verse 6 it says, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming upon the disobedient. Part of God's wrath is him simply giving people what they want. You want that? Go ahead. You want to ruin your life through this means? Go on ahead. We see in Romans chapter 1, verse 24 to 25, it says, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. We as a church, and you see some preachers, they don't talk, like to talk about the wrath of God. You might have someone say to you, well, God is love. A God of love would never exhibit wrath. Well, though, brothers and sisters, they don't know the biblical God that I do. It is true that God is love. But God is also holy and just. And because he is holy and just, he must punish sin. Wrath is a necessary reaction to having a personal God to the violation of his will and his ways. Because of the sins that Paul listed, the wrath of God is coming. This is in the present tense, meaning the wrath of God has come. There are some that say that God is currently right now judging the United States of America and the church in the U.S. Not just because of the culture's anti-stance on God, but because of how compromised 
churches have become in this day and age. In many ways, the church doesn't look and act much different than the world. We don't have the prophetic voice to speak into a culture that we see, you know, through every social outlet is self-destructing day by day. And why? Because sometimes we are so distracted by in-church and outside-of-church politics, culture wars, and many other things. You see, in Chronicles, God doesn't call the heathens to repentance. Who does he call to repentance? He calls his own people. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and then they will seek my face and turn their, from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You see, the land's healing was dependent upon God's people repenting. Most of the Colossian believers were Gentiles, and Paul writes that they used to walk in their old ways, in their own life. You see, we will all be tempted in this area one way or another. C.S. Lewis tells a story. Tells a story about a man who had a lizard. And this lizard, well, it sat at his shoulder and it whispered in his ear terrible, perverted, and blasphemous things. Day after day, year after year, he endured the torture of the lizard's words. So then someone finally asked him, Why did he not just go ahead and take that lizard off his shoulder and just go ahead and just kill it? Listen to what he said. He said he was so used to his taunts that he wouldn't know what to do without it. One day he was fed up and he finally reached and grabbed the lizard and he slammed it into the ground. And in that instant, the lizard turned into this white, beautiful stallion. The horse turned to him and said, what took you so long? Hop on. We've got a lot of fixing to do. There is forgiveness at the foot of the cross for whatever you are going through. The actor Terry Crews had a secret that he had hidden from everyone. He had a secret that he hid from his wife, from all the times that he played football, from everybody. From his whole career in the NFL, from his career for being a successful actor, he lived in constant guilt and shame because he was addicted to pornography. Then one day he came clean. He told his wife everything. Not only that, he went on uh, Football Live and he shared his whole story with the world. And he said it was the beginning. Once I did that and I got my story out and I confessed, that was the beginning of the healing for me. He said he never thought that was possible until he did it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we believe God's word and it is true and the results of disobeying him and they are significant, then I want us, church, to take a moment right now. If we believe the results of the wrath of God for disobeying him in this area, let's just take a moment 
to silently confess our sins in this area and lack of trust in God. And if you don't have a problem in that area, well, it's probably a brother or sister maybe sitting right next to you that does. Let's take a moment to pray for them and how they're dealing with this on a daily basis. Let's take a moment and pray, church. Amen. My second point this morning is removing sins in our new life with Christ. Removing sins in our new life with Christ. Looking at verses 8 to 10, and they read, But now put away all following anger, malice, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with his practices. Verse 10, and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Paul now transitions into another vice list, but this time he focuses not on our words. He's saying, put off. Put away, put on. These are all verbs having to do with changing clothes. Just like I wouldn't put on the wet clothes I wore earlier, as I mentioned earlier, we shouldn't put back on the clothes of our old nature. And thinking about what Paul thought about, he was probably thinking about the baptism ceremony where a person would take off their clothes and then after being baptized, they would put on a clean white robe. While the first list moves from actions to attitudes, this list moves from the inner motives of the heart to the outward actions of our lips. And we see the first one is anger. This word has to do with heat. This is the feeling that you get when your face grows hot. You know what I'm talking about. Your face grows hot and your, your temper, you start to boil. But rage... That is the outward expression of when you have all that anger and it boils over. Malice, this is the inner attitude of hate and wishing bad things on folks. Slander, this is gossip. The intentional tearing down of someone who is not present with you. Then we see filthy language. This isn't about cursing as we all might think. These are words that are critically designed specifically in your mind to hurt other people. From road rage to so-called Karens verbally attacking people to social media arguments to we see people screaming at each other on cable news to gossips disguised as prayer requests to culture. This culture is angry and we see it every day. Now, don't get me wrong, anger is a normal human emotion. Anger is most often is frustration over what? It's frustration over goals that we wanted to achieve, but we weren't able to achieve. That's why Paul wrote, quoting Psalm 4, he says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Church anger destroys relationships and angry words are like toothpaste 
Once they're out the tube, you can't put it back in. Once they come out your mouth, you can't take it back. All you can do is apologize. But the damage is already done. There is a sense of righteous rage that we should have towards sin. And that rage is like Jesus when he was at the temple. But Paul ends this list with a command. Not to lie to one another. Church, we can't go around lying to one another. Why? Because we are new people. We're not just a new individual people, but God is building a bride for his son called the church. This new self is constantly being renewed in the knowledge and the image of his creator. Paul tells the Romans, Roman Christians, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, not to be conformed with this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. He then goes all the way back to Genesis and the creation of humanity and God's image. As Christians who have died with Christ, have been buried with Christ, and been raised with Christ, we are becoming humans. We're always meant to be in fellowship with Christ. So my third point this morning is new creation brings forth a new community in Christ. New creation brings forth a new community in Christ. Looking at verse 11. Paul ends this section with a beautiful picture of the barriers the gospel breaks down in our culture. Verse 11 it reads, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Church, in Christ all racial barriers are obliterated between the Jew and the Gentile. In Christ, religious barriers are destroyed because the circumcised and the uncircumcised. In Christ, even the barbarians are welcomed and accepted. Barbarians are those who didn't speak Greek. And the lowest level of barbarians, they were called Scythians. So all social ranks in Christ have been removed. So we need to memorize these two lists and then avoid them like the plague. Then we will be godly. Maybe we can even make rules about following the list to protect us from breaking the rules in the first place. Well, that might not be the answer because that's what the Pharisees did. See, that's not how it works. We can only live like Christ if Christ is empowering our hearts from the inside out. It all comes from a new heart. Have you received a new heart? Have you been born again? We are in a war, but we fight with the weapons of grace, which are the blood of Christ, the word of God, and the promises that you can count on that are in them. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 says, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called my people receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you and praise you of looking at your word today. Lord, we pray that we would not leave this room the same way that we came in. Lord, we pray that we would honor you with the way that we live, the way that we talk.
talk to and we treat one another, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the blood that was shed on that cross, Lord, to help make us a new creation, to bring us into fellowship with you. Lord, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand as we sing?